separate interview in this program, former Supreme Court Senior Associate Justice Antonio Carpio said that even if the Commission on Elections and later the Supreme Court decided that the 1995 conviction did not involve moral turpitude, Marcos Jr. still could not be allowed to run because he had also violated the tax code. This violation, according to Justice Carpio, carried the penalty of perpetual disqualification. Now, Marcos's lawyer has dismissed the petition as a nuisance. He also insisted that his client was not a tax evader. Marcos Jr. simply did not file his income tax returns. Tonight, we'll talk about the petition to cancel a certificate of candidacy and why the conviction matters for someone seeking the presidency. Be part of our discussion. Send us your questions and comments on our YouTube live chat or tweet us using the hashtag ANC After the Fact. Joining us tonight is international human rights lawyer Ruben Carranza. is a former commissioner of the Philippine Commission on Good Government, the body tasked to recover the ill-gotten wealth of the Marcoses and their cronies. Good evening, sir, and good morning there in New York. Thank you for joining us on the program. It's, it's my pleasure and good evening to your viewers. Okay, let's start with one basic question. Why this tax conviction of Ferdinand Bombo Marcos in 1995, as upheld by the Court of Appeals in 1997, is a big issue and should matter during this election campaign for the 2022 presidential, uh, presidency. It matters because apparently it wasn't enough for Marcos Jr. to steal taxpayer funds. He also has to not pay taxes. So you have someone who is not only openly defying Philippine law by avoiding the payment of taxes, by evading the payment of tax taxes, but he's also been uh, flouting Philippine justice by not returning the ill-gotten assets that are still being kept by his family. Okay, now his lawyer insisted that uh, it's wrong to describe this conviction in 1995 as a case of tax evasion. According to his lawyer... It was not tax evasion, but that Bongo Marcos simply did not file his ITR. Is, it, is he splitting hairs or did he really commit tax evasion, meaning didn't pay the proper taxes? There are many ways to evade the payment of taxes. And one of them, of course, is to not file your income tax return. Because if that were not tax evasion, then everyone in the Philippines would simply not have to file their tax returns and then say, we're not tax evaders. We're simply non-tax return filers. Now, it, it, but in the end, it doesn't really matter. Marcos Jr. was convicted of an offense that carries with it the penalty of permanent disqualification from public office. And uh, that's he, the penalty that matters. Should he be disqualified because of that? Because the argument also by supporters uh, is that the penalty of imprisonment was removed by the commission and uh, uh, by, by the court of appeals and that he was only asked to pay a fine the penalty of perpetual disqualification is a penalty aside from imprisonment aside from paying fine so the reason he withdrew his appeal from the conviction uh, that was affirmed by the court of appeals was obvious, it's obvious, he thought that he could get away with it now. He thought that now, uh, without the imprisonment that the Court of Appeals erroneously uh, removed from the 
original judgment of the regional trial court in the Philippines that Marcos Jr. now thought that that was all that he needed. Um, whoever his lawyers are, including this lawyer who does not seem to understand what tax evasion means, uh, they are wrong. Uh, the tax evasion conviction carries with it perpetual disqualification from holding public office. Now, it's important to note that these events took place long before he filed his candidacy, and it is, this is not the first time that the attention of the judiciary in the Philippines has been called uh, over this conviction. Senator Salonga, when he was still alive, in fact, wrote a letter to the Supreme Court asking the Supreme Court for a certification that Marcos Jr. withdrew his appeal and therefore that the conviction stands. And the Supreme Court issued that certification. It's clear that the conviction stands. And so Senator Solonga, sometime in 2004, if I'm not mistaken, actually issued a press release saying that this judgment should now be enforced. And this, this was long before he ran for vice president. This was sometime after he ran for senator, if I'm not mistaken. And obviously, this was long before he's now running for president. So this, this isn't the first time. This isn't, it's, it's not as if it's only now that it's being raised. So it's not as if it's being used now because of his president, uh, because of his presidential candidacy. That's what you're saying. In, in fact, in I, I now recall that in 2015, I remember tweeting about the support that Marcos Jr. expressed in his own tweet over a tax reform law that was still being discussed then at the Senate. And he even used the hashtag Black Payday Friday to support protests against paying taxes because he said taxes were too high. He was in favor, he said, of tax reform now. Those were the hashtags he used. This is a tax evader who claims to be supporting tax reforms, who wanted supposedly Filipinos to be unburdened of high taxes. But that's hypocrisy because for decades, not only did he refuse to pay this tax and was convicted already, his family, in fact, continues to not pay an even larger tax liability uh, for the ill-gotten wealth that they acquired. Okay, let's talk, let's talk about the estate tax also later on. Uh that they are supposed to pay. But before we go to that, uh, let's use cert let's clarify certain terms. Because the petitioner is asking the COMELEC to deny, deny due course to the uh, COC for President of Bongbong Marcos, described him as plainly a convicted criminal. So because of that record, 1995 was upheld in 1997. So to be clear, he is considered a convicted tax evader. Is that correct? He is. And, you know, the, this distinction between white-collar crimes and non-white-collar crimes, those are just distinctions lawyers use to pretend that certain crimes are not as bad as others. But why should tax evasion be considered something that isn't as bad as malversation of public funds, for example? Uh, taxes are public funds. A public official who embezzled public money, commits malversation. A public official who does not pay his taxes commits tax evasion. So they're both convicted criminals, the tax evader and the malverser. 
Okay. Now, the fact that uh, that the penalty of imprisonment was removed, he was only asked to pay a fine. Does that mean that the crime that he committed, because he was convicted, constituted a moral turpitude, and because of that, he should be, he should not be allowed to run for president in 2022? Moral turpitude is always a relative term, and just like any other courts in the world that uses that standard um, standards of morality change over time and justices and judges will often use standards that vary across different people. But he, he, here's the important thing here. Many people have been disbarred by the Supreme Court for moral turpitude offenses. Many convicted Filipinos have been sent to jail for everything from shoplifting powdered milk in a grocery store to feed their infants. Here is a politician whose family stole $10 billion, ignoring the requirement to file his return and pay his taxes because he was in London, because he was traveling, because he was spending ill-gotten money. And then he comes back and says, no, it's okay. You know, I'll, I'll just pay the fine and then I'll get away with it. And that's the problem here. The Philippine justice system apparently has two kinds of justice, one for the Marcoses and one for the rest of the Filipino people. And the Marcoses have been getting away with crime for so long, in part because they controlled the Philippine judiciary and appointments to the Philippine judiciary for decades. And that control during the dictatorship has paid off for them. Okay but, okay, but of course, uh, those supporting uh, Bongbong Marcos and his family are claiming that uh, back in 1997, we were under a different president. And uh, it could be argued, according to them, that the Marcos influence was not as high as others might have thought during that time. For him to influence the Court of Appeals to at least remove the penalty of imprisonment. And that's not really true. Uh, his mother was convicted by the Sandigan Bayan after the dictatorship. During this period when supposedly post-Marcos presidents were presiding over a government and, and, and had, had access to the same courts that Marcos Jr. has. But his mother was convicted by the Sandigan Bayan uh, by, in a court presided by the late uh, presiding justice Francis Garcito Rena. Uh, she was convicted of corruption for making money out of contracts entered into by the Light Rail Transit Authority. She um, entered into lease contracts that were very favorable to her and her cronies, and then turned around and leased them for higher amounts of money. So uh, basic, very basic garapalan, as we would call it, corruption. She was convicted for that. Uh, she appealed it to the Supreme Court. A division of the Supreme Court, in fact, affirmed her conviction. She filed a motion for reconsideration that same division affirmed that conviction again. So that should have been done. And most Filipinos who are convicted of crimes go through the same thing. And at the end of the day, when their motions for reconsideration are denied, they go to jail. Mm -hmm. That's not the case in Imelda Marcos. She, through the former Solicitor General and Justice Minister of Ferdinand Marcos, Estelito Mendoza, Imelda Marcos went to justices of the Supreme Court 
was able to get what the rest of Filipino litigants often don't get because the Constitution limits the possibility of getting the entire Supreme Court, not just the division of the Supreme Court, to hear an appeal, but she got that. She got the Supreme Court, the entire court, to hear an appeal, and that's how she got to reverse her conviction. That's how she was acquitted for the first time. So now she's been convicted again at the Sandigan Bayan, and that's going to be how she will try to overturn that conviction. So that's what I mean when I say there's one justice, one kind of justice for the Marcus family, and there's another kind of justice for the Filipino people. And that should end. Okay. But how would that also... Can a Bongpo Marcus president say, of course, uh, um, logically as expected, uh, it can also worsen things for that in favor of the Marcoses. If the situation is as is already when he's not the president yet. A, 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 we, we already saw what a Marcos presidency looked like. A Marcos presidency years ago meant it didn't really matter that there was a Supreme Court. Anything he did was law. While that's not going to be, in theory, possible now, uh, a, another Marcos presidency will not only try to unwind the judicial reforms, the constitutional changes, the attempts at ensuring good government in the Philippines that were undertaken after the Marcos dictatorship, he will not only try to unwind it, he will revise the narrative of the dictatorship as he has been doing, and he will now try to give impunity not just to himself, not just to his mother and the rest of their family, but to the different Marcos cronies that up to now have survived over okay. the many decades after the dictatorship. Now, how do you convince people, even the supporters of the Marcoses, to basically, at the very least, consider the facts? I was looking at their actions online uh, to, the, uh, to the issue raised initially by retired Justice Antonio Carpio, and of course, following the petition filed before the uh, Commission on Elections, if you look at the comments coming from the Marcos loyalists, or even not as diehard supporters as the other loyalists, they would say, na, so what? So Marcos pa rin kami, BBM pa rin kami. Assuming that these are not trolls, assuming that th- these are real people, how do you make them care at the very least about the facts? I, I think Filipinos care about fairness. I think Filipinos care about how much their money uh, gets lost through corruption. And I think Filipinos care that whatever little they earn that is taxed goes back to them in terms of services, goes back to them in terms of access to health care. And that's important because here you have a family that actually cut the line for COVID testing early in the pandemic. Here's a family that had access to the best health care when Marcos Jr. himself caught COVID. Now, I think Filipinos who have lost family members during this pandemic, Filipinos who can't access something as basic as a hospital bed or an oxygen tank, um, will care that here's a family with $10 billion stolen from them, cutting the line for COVID testing, getting the best health care that ill-gotten money can buy, and now claiming that they're not tax evaders when 
they in fact are. So I think Filipinos will care about the unfairness of that. Now, they can still support him. They can still think, you know, it's their choice for president. But they should, I think they will begin to wonder how fair this is. That here's someone who acts like he's wealthy and that his wealth is not ill-gotten, sends his children to the United Kingdom. He doesn't send his children to public schools in the Philippines. And yet you have public schools in the Philippines and public school students struggling because they don't have internet access. They, they use cell phones with low batteries and just, just die because they're too poor to get better service. And yet here's, a, here's, here's someone who claims, you know, all I, all I, all I have, you know, all I did was not file my returns and now I'm done. I, I, I'm free. I'm, I'm beyond and I, I'm above the law. Okay. Now, speaking of the estate tax, how come uh, they're uh, getting away with not paying the estate tax that they owe the government or the state? And the Bureau of Internal Revenue, the tax authorities in the Philippines, have in fact consistently demanded that the Marcos family pay what uh, I think Justice Antonio Carpio has calculated as already a total of 203 billion pesos. In, in taxes and fines and penalties due. And the Marcos family has simply ignored that. Um, and on the other hand, you have tax authorities going after them to pay this, uh, but at the same time, not doing enough to ensure that their assets are uh, attached, which is a remedy that you can use to go after tax evaders. Now, what, what, what's important here is that the Marcos family claimed some years ago that the reason they were not paying estate taxes, which I said is now 203 billion pesos, was because there were still pending cases involving the ill-gotten wealth in the Philippines. Now, that's been resolved. Uh, there is now a final judgment. There's been a final judgment for years, a judgment um, made in 2003 by the Philippine Supreme Court when I was still in the PCGG that the Marcoses uh, have ill-gotten wealth and that all their assets beyond the amount of 304,000 US dollars is ill-gotten. So it's final. Nothing needs to be said about it. It cannot be reversed. And so it's more than overdue for them to pay uh, estate taxes. Okay. How do you explain the denialism of a lot of Filipinos still today, given the facts already established, the decisions by the court, uh, the Hawaii class action suit, which awarded them $2 billion, and that uh, the court is still looking for different ill-gotten wealth, properties, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, paintings by the Marcoses and their cronies to be able to deliver on that uh, award of $2 billion to the uh, members of the Hawaii class suit. How, despite all these things, you still sense great or grave denialism on the part of a good number of Filipinos? Can that simply be attributed to uh, the great Marcos propaganda machine? When, when I was still at the PCGG, near the tail end of my uh, time serving the commission, uh, I drafted what later became the Marcos human rights violations victims reparations law but that became a law then only 10 years later and then got implemented 
even uh, a couple more years after that. But one of the provisions that I inserted into the draft of that law that I made in 2003 was the idea that aside from paying compensation to victims, that the board that would be created to provide that compensation should act like a truth commission, that the board should conduct public hearings just before it starts to pay compensation so that Filipinos can record not just what happened to individuals who come forward ask for compensation, but the number of those individuals. And that those individuals, those victims, come from a wide range of backgrounds, not just activists, not just left-wing people, but ordinary farmers, teachers, students. Um, it's not too late to actually do some truth-telling in the Philippines. And I think it's still possible to do that even during an election. In fact, it is important to do that during an election. And the reason why Marcus propaganda subsists isn't only the inadequacy of truth-telling efforts after the dictatorship. Um, it's also the fact that the Marcus family continued to have access to billions of dollars in money to control the narrative. The fact that many of their cronies, in fact, re-emerged to become powerful people in the post-Marcos government uh, that the Philippines has had. And so the, this, this reckoning comes back, this lack of reckoning comes back and, and bites the Filipino people in the end. Now, to me, it's not too late to counter Marcos propaganda. The fact that in 2016, that propaganda was countered to the extent that he lost uh, that election uh, is an indication that it is possible. It's an indication of what can be done and what can happen. But I think it's also important to go beyond the election. It's important to remember, for example, that the Philippine Constitution has a provision that says the effort to recover ill-gotten wealth has no deadline. Mm. that you can go after those who continue to hide, control, even inherit ill-gotten wealth, even long after their parents or grandparents are, are gone. So Marcos Jr. isn't off the hook. Uh, Marcos Jr. could, in fact, should, in fact, be investigated, for example, for money laundering. It's a continuing offense. And uh, the predicate of that offense is corruption. And there has been a finding of corruption based on the 2003 Supreme Court decision. The children of Marcos Jr. could conceivably uh, be investigated for concealing and benefiting from ill-gotten wealth. So there are, in fact, basis for investigating and truth-telling beyond the election. And I think it's important to not limit this idea of countering Marcos propaganda only for election purposes. Okay, and finally, Attorney Carranza, $10 billion, the estimated loot for ill-gotten wealth by the Marcoses and their cronies. Uh, how was this computed? And I think uh, less than half of this, uh, only less than half of this was, uh, was recovered, right? So how was this computed, in $10 billion at least? Well, if you, if you look at what has been recovered, and I think the PCGG in one of its latest reports uh, says that they that the total recovery is up to 
if I'm not mistaken, about $4 billion. Uh, that includes mostly domestic assets. That includes shares of stock, land, buildings, um, everything from PLDT shares to San Miguel Corporation shares. So many of the corporations that Filipinos see as part of their ordinary lives, the Marcos has had their hands in those corporations. But they also include some of the ill-gotten assets recovered abroad, uh, including the $680 million in Switzerland and some assets in uh, the United States, in Panama and Hong Kong. Uh, the $10 billion estimate is calculated based on what might be out there uh, in terms of ill-gotten wealth, what bank accounts are still uncovered. Now, remember that when we recovered the $680 million from a total of about 14 entities created by the Marcos family in Switzerland, we did not necessarily recover and close down those entities. We recovered the money of those entities. Uh, those entities are still around. They spin off those entities. In fact, one of them, Mahler Foundation, was one of the sources of ill-gotten wealth hidden by the Marcos family. What Mahler did, what the Marcoses did, was to create a spin-off called Arelma. Mm -hmm. And then Arelma created its own accounts in Panama, opened accounts in New York, and that's still under litigation up to now. The amount of money involved is $40 million. Imelda Marcos is still trying to get that. So there are still assets, and that's why the estimate of $10 billion is still a fluctuating estimate because some of these assets still have to be uncovered. Okay. Attorney Ruben Carranza, thank you for joining us tonight, sir. Thank you very much. We're going to take a quick break after the fact. We'll be right back.